Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Girl Next Door. It's Renee Bennett here. So glad that you've joined me. We're going to talk politics today. And guys, I do not want you to switch off. You might think, oh, politics, what? I promise you that what I've got to say today directly impacts every single one of us. But before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you so much to the new people that have been jumping on supporting uh, the work that I do here on the Buy Me A Coffee platform. So thank you to an anonymous coffee buyer and to Camille and also to a brand new member I've got here, Izzy, and also to my regular members, Sammy, Emily, Ash, Rachel, Brittany, Jasmine, Lola, Adriana, Rochelle, Renee, Christina, Pam, Marie, Louise, Sophie, Kylie, Vanessa, and Chloe. I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Um, it does take me a lot of time to do this uh, and as you guys know, I've got a bit of a goal. I would love to be able to actually podcast one day a week. So yeah. And, and if you don't want to support in that way, feel free to do a five star, um, uh, you know, tap of the review on Apple or Spotify, but also written reviews. Thank you to the new person that did a written re review this week. All right. On with today's episode, guys. Um, hang on. I'm just trying to put my phone on airplane mode. Otherwise, we get some weird interference. All right. Today, I labored over what to call this because I felt like as soon as I put the word politics in the title, that it might turn some people off. And um, so I've settled on why we can no longer afford to stay out of politics or why we can no longer even afford not to care about politics. I want to make a case today for why we as uh, for those of you that are Christians, definitely for us who are Christians, but just being a citizen of Australia, how we should all be keeping on top of and influencing the political sphere of our country. Um, it's also our responsibility, guys, and this might be a bit of a shock for some of you hearing this come from a pastor maybe, but it's our responsibility to actually mix religion and politics. And I'm going to go back to the history of that in our nation and prove to you that that is how our nation was set up, that religion and politics and the way our country is governed are basically partners that go hand in hand. And we just can't afford to be apolitical any longer. What do I mean by apolitical? Um, I used to be apolitical. That means that you just don't care about or are not interested in politics. Um, we really have to fight to keep our nation under God. Now, I know for some of you that your reaction might be, well, okay, that's all fair and good, but I don't know much about politics or I don't understand politics or I don't care about politics. And like I said, all fair enough. I was the most apolitical person growing up. And the reality is it's only really been in the last few years that I've found myself really caring and understanding because of one reason. And this is why all of us need to get 
really, uh, or I want to encourage you to remain interested in this. And it's because I started to see that the politics of our country are now impacting our daily lives. All right, let me say that again. And I am sure that you would agree with that statement that the politics of our country are now impacting our daily life, right? Like politics used to be whatever. It was just, you know, more about economics and taxes. I mean, I grew up with a mum who always used to say, don't vote liberal. They make the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? And that is literally all I ever heard her say. That that was literally my um, my education in politics was that. Don't vote liberal. The, <laughs> the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I didn't even know what that meant. None of it affected me until suddenly, boom, I started to see this slow trickle that then became a tsunami where I realized that those making decisions in the way our country was governed was starting to and definitely 100% is impacting us in a major way. Now, for me, it started, like I said, with a little trickle, right? Like I remember ScoMo before he was prime minister, I can't even remember what his portfolio was, but I remember he did this campaign, no jab, no pay. And my kids were young at the time, but they were in school. They weren't in childcare. And I remember thinking, hmm, that's pretty full on, right? Like pretty interfering of a politician to tell me that my Centrelink's going to get taken away unless I vaccinate my kids with this ever-growing list of vaccines. You know, what about, isn't education every Australian's right? But I was like, whatever, doesn't affect me. My kids were vaccinated. I get it. Common good and all that, yada, yada. But then the other things started to happen. Like, I remember when I was teaching first here in Queensland and I started to hear about this safer schools. I'm like, what is safer schools? Well, as a teacher and as a mum who had children in schools, I was really interested that our education system was enforcing this curriculum, which was a radical gender ideology. And then I started to see things like government agencies funding gender clinics. Um, The biggest ones are, I think, in Victoria. I think there's one in Tasmania as well. Uh, Then I started to see things like, um, you know, the rainbow coming through and and then government corporations like the police flying rainbow flags and sporting codes funded by government suddenly engaging in political left-wing ideologies. And I'm like, hang on a sec. So all these things that I thought never affected me because there was this big disconnect between me and the government, all of a sudden the government is impacting all of these different, you know, um, organizations or corporations that interact with me in my daily life. And they're starting to push their agenda through them. Uh, Then there are state governments like in Victoria taking away parents' rights to know if their child was choosing to change their gender at school. And that could happen from as young as the age of eight. So all of these things are adding up and I'm like, hang on, what the heck is going on? And then, of course, uh, about a year or two ago, we saw Victoria passing a law to ban gay conversion therapy, which could include when a person asks a pastor to pray for them. And then a few years later, they decide that that pastor was engaging in uh, gay conversion therapy. And you could actually go to jail for doing that if proven to 
uh, to have engaged in that in Victoria. And then, of course, not to mention the fact that, you know, COVID, that probably shook a lot of us awake. And I know for me, that did the final rattling of the cage when it came to politics. I mean, I was watching things happen in front of my eyes that were so... Uh, they just didn't make sense, right? Like here was the government enacting emergency laws so they could lock us up and shut borders while at the same time allowing sporting stars and their wives to travel uninhibited between states. Like my daughter was locked out of our state and stuck in another state and was unable to get home. And yet sporting um, personalities and their wives were going backwards and forwards. I was furious. Um, they wouldn't allow churches to meet or they were they were very restrictive on how churches could meet. But meanwhile, um, alcohol shops were staying open, brothels were staying open, and tens of thousands of people at the same time that uh, churches were being restricted were allowed to gather in sporting stadiums. And of course, I haven't even begun to discuss the government's new proposal to take the right away from religious schools to employ the uh, the staff of their choice. So there are so many other things I could talk about euthanasia, the abortion bill. And, you know, I just started to realize, you know what, if we don't start doing politics, politics is going to do us. And that is what's happened increasingly and in an accelerated manner over the past couple of years is we've disengaged from politics. And so politics is starting to to impact us, whether we like it or not. Politics is not some far off, hard to understand part of society that are removed from you and me and our lives anymore. My life and your life is being impacted daily by the decisions made and those in charge of the political sphere. So I've really began to wonder if we don't get involved, will will we be in trouble in the future? And I think you would all agree a thousand percent, I think this is this is definitely going to be the case. And I've heard many people say over the years things like, well, religion and politics don't mix and pastors shouldn't get involved in politics. I no longer believe either of those statements. I mean, for starters, the church has always been the bedrock of Every of, of all Western societies. It's been the bedrock of many areas of our society, right? Like feeding the poor, ending slavery, the welfare system, education, hospitals, all things that are to do with our government. The church has been a huge part. In fact, if it has not been, if we were to shut down all Christian or even just all religious schools across the country, do you know our education system would not cope and would literally collapse? There is no way that the government system could cope with the number of students needing education. The church has always been the bedrock. So it's made me really wonder, well, what then is the connection, the partnership and the responsibility between religion and politics? And have we abandoned our post? And it turns out we have. Now, I'm going to make a statement that's probably going to surprise many of you. And I've been doing a lot of research in this area. And I've begun to see that this is 100% true. But constitutionally, Australia is a religious country. 
Let me say that again. Constitutionally, and I'll I'll unpack this for you in a really simple way, Australia is currently a religious country, but I can see that our left-leaning government and our increasingly, even our once conservative government that's become more um, less conservative and more progressive, um, that it's like they understand this and we don't because we're not taught this. We are not taught in school that Australia constitutionally is a religious country. And I think while they realize that we don't understand that, they're trying to um, take that foundation, take religion out of the foundation of our country. And I'm telling you, we are in trouble if that happens. I did a podcast a while back where I talked about why all of us, every society actually needs religion, even if you don't have a faith yourself. So let me go back and explain to you this statement about how constitutionally Australia is a religious country. Back in 1901, when our country came together, that's when the six separate colonies at the time agreed to come together as the Commonwealth, right? It was known as the the federation movement. And when we came together, we became a federation or a commonwealth. Now, the federation, therefore, is when these group of states, which, by the way, you might not have realized that in the late 1800s, New Zealand were a part of this. It was only at the last minute that New Zealand pulled out. But um, the federation is the group of states that has a central government, but independent Uh, in internal affairs within their own state, which is how Australia runs. So we've got our state governments, but we've got our federal government. And we are no longer, clearly, since 1901, six separate colonies, but one united nation, which is why it is absolutely massive that this coming week we've got the referendum because it is this founding document that was written during the Federation in 1901 it can only be changed when we come together and we have a referendum and we vote for changes. They can't, no one can just come in and change this, right? And this is the constitution, the document written to formalize the federation. And this document basically was setting on in paper, on paper, how our country would be governed. So it's a very, very important document, our founding document. Now, this is the important part that you might not realize, and I've only just realized, the preamble to this document recognizes God. So right in the beginning sentences, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to quote it to you exactly what it says. It says that the, um, that the people of the six self-governing colonies agree to federate into a commonwealth while, and I quote, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God right? So the people that first signed them, and I'm going to talk about them in a minute, because could you even name one of them? Can you guys name any of our founding fathers? They agreed that uh, the very first thing in the, in the constitution was the recognition that we as a nation were going to humbly rely on the blessings of almighty God. So God is embedded in the very foundation of our country, so when people say, oh, religion and politics don't mix, um, yeah, they do. God is right there in the opening sentence of our founding document, a political document. So I would argue that religion and politics have a duty to stay in partnership. 
Now, not only does our founding document recognize God, but it says that we humbly rely on Him. So at Federation, our country was calling upon the dependence on the Almighty. Now, we have come a very long way to think that our current government are trying to further destabilize our religious schools, for example, by taking away their right to employ staff who believe in and uphold their religious values. Now, I say religious, not Christian, because all religions are being affected by this, like, you know, Muslims, Jews, anyone that's got a religious school. So we've come a really long way to think that our current government are trying to do all sorts of things to destabilize what once was considered God in the in the foundation. I mean, even gender ideology is another example. Um, we could go on and on, abortion, euthanasia, all these things that the government are trying to pass and bring in are just so far from that founding document. I wonder what our founding fathers would think. So here we have God as legally recognized. How funny is that? God is legally recognized in our founding documents. So how the heck did this happen? Well, for starters, one of the reasons that it happened was there was overwhelming public support. So um, the public were, were consulted by the founding fathers and a committee of people who were committed to the Federation movement. And there was overwhelming support that they wanted God. The Australian citizens wanted God to be recognized at the very beginning of the Constitution. Now, it also showed loud and clear the kind of nation that our founding fathers hoped that Australia would become. Their desire was for Australia to have a mutually beneficial connection between religion and state. And it was also necessary to make sure that it was written in our foundations because they understood that when religion and God is at the center, it helps to promote a democratic nation. I'll explain that in just a second. But for starters, they knew that if the states didn't cooperate with and accommodate religion, I mean, that for starters would demonstrate that our country was anti-democratic, right? Because everyone should have a choice. It's it's one of the basic human um, human rights is our right uh, of conscience and of thought and of belief. So let me just talk into that for a little minute. Um, It's actually religion, specifically Christianity, actually, that keeps oppressive governments from forming. Now, I've said it here before, but let me remind you again, the smaller the government, the bigger the people, the bigger the government, the smaller the people, right? We saw that during COVID. Um, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Governments are meant to be here for the service of the people, not to control the people, Governments are meant to be here to protect the people, not rule over the people. Governments are meant to be here to keep order for the good of the people. That's biblical. Not to demand order through tyranny. Now, it's actually religion and more specifically Christianity and the church that help to keep the government accountable to this, that help to keep the government within the framework that they should be functioning and not to step outside of that. Now, like I said a second ago, COVID's a really good opinion here. In my opinion, the church, and I will include all religions here, not just Christianity, didn't do enough to stand up to what became tyrannical measures enforced by the government. And because the church failed to stand up, many, many hundreds of thousands of people suffered in our country and in other countries around the world. Now, whether that was because You know, people suffered because they lost businesses due to lockdowns. Uh, They were locked outside their state due to border closures. 
people who truly suffered because they lost jobs, um, because they refused this experimental so-called vaccine. They were uh, people that have been harmed in the hundreds and thousands by that vaccine, people who are still devastated because they couldn't visit dying loved ones in hospital. I could go on and on and on. Now, some people I know say, oh, but the doctors should have stood up and the lawyers should have stood up and the teachers should have stood up. And, and I agree. Yes, that's absolutely true. But they're not the ones that are written into the opening sentence of the founding document of our country. God is. And those of us who believe in God, we were the ones who were meant to hold the government to account. Now, God must be in the foundation because belief in him is why we value human life so much. And when we value human life, we value human rights. Now, historically, worldwide, many governments don't give two hoots about human rights, right? And this is where we get our tyrannical governments coming into it. Think Nazi Germany, Stalin, communist China. So keeping God and religion protected in our constitution is in fact protection for ourselves as a nation and for us as individuals. Now, the preamble illustrates that Australia had a specifically Christian heritage, that we have Judeo-Christian values as the bedrock of our nation and society from when we first formed. As our nation was coming together politically, our founding fathers knew that the glue binding us was our belief, acknowledgement, and reliance upon God. Our founding fathers never intended for us to be a godless nation. In fact, it was intended that religion helped to create the solidarity and the unity in our nation that they were looking for, but without, of course, Im- imposing specific beliefs and practices. So it ensured a democratic nation. Now, including God in the preamble of the constitution means that God cannot be excluded from political communities. Our founding fathers knew that our society would be stronger with God as its foundation and that individuals who have personal convictions and beliefs in God outwork this in public contexts which help to create communities with strong moral values. Now, the idea of God strengthens our commitment to the very ideas that make a society strong and healthy, right? Ideas like human rights and equality and moral responsibility. So religion provides moral guidance for society, and that includes the political community. Religious belief gives us deeply held values, which impacts how society conducts itself. Now, some of us might go, oh my gosh, like who would want to get involved in politics? Like, look at how they carry on and how they, um, you know, they shout at each other. They're so horrible to each other. If you, if you watch, um, well, they slag each other on the media. And if you watch, uh, when parliament's sitting, it's just like, like a schoolyard really. Um, but that's why we need people like you and me in there because we can come in and we can be the change and we can bring the change. So I just wanted to quickly touch for a minute on who on earth were even these founding fathers that pushed the Australian Federation and who helped draft this constitution. Like who, who were they? And I bet your bottom dollar, although I must say I was talking to Cameron about this while I was walking yesterday and he could name one of them. And he knew that one of them became 
the first prime ministers. And I was like, how did you know that? He just, I don't know, he reads stuff and it could be 20 years ago and it sticks in his brain. But for me, before I did this podcast, I couldn't name one of our founding fathers. Yet it was their commitment and their firm beliefs which led them to write one of the world's best constitutions that had, as I keep saying over and over, God in its foundation. Now, I don't know if you know, but um, this group that formed, they actually met for 10 years before 1901 to discuss this idea of Australia coming together. Let me quickly go over these people really quickly. Um, the, the, the guy that was considered the father of federation um, was a man na- known as Henry Parks. Now, he was born in 1815, but he died before he get to, got to see uh, Australia come together or the constitution being enacted, but he is still considered the father of federation. Uh, he was 24 when he and his wife migrated to Australia, and he entered politics, ended up being elected premier of New South Wales five times, so he was really popular. And it was actually his stirring speech that motivated the other states to send representatives to to the Constitutional Conference to discuss the Federation. And um, he's the one, by the way, that's been quoted also as being very adamant and very passionate that our nation is a nation that forms under God. So he obviously, he was, um, I don't know his background if he was Protestant or what, but he obviously had a deep deeply held belief in God. Now, he died in 1896. So the one that he passed the baton to was Edmund Barton. This is the one Cameron knew. He was born and bred in Sydney, 1849, homeschooled, lawyer. Um, He became, at the age of 34, Speaker of Parliament. He was the one that, I guess, was trained by by Henry, um, what was his name? I've forgotten it already, Henry Parks. Um, He took the baton from him. He attended hundreds of meetings to rally support around the country. Now, he was the one who actually explained the drafted constitution to the British government because they were the ones that had to pass the bill for it to become law. Now, he also, like I said, was the first prime minister of Australia. And I'm pretty sure I read somewhere as well that he at one stage was deciding whether he wanted to continue in law or go and be a pastor. So again, Christian man. Um, The others I'll just briefly go over. Another one was Sir Samuel Griffith. Um, His father was a minister, which is what brought his family to Australia, specifically to Queensland. He was a real uh, get up and go. At age 18, he applied to be the principal of Ipswich Grammar School. He became a lawyer at 22. He was elected to Queensland Parliament at 25. So he was heavily involved. Another one by the name of Alfred Deakin. A lot of people wondered why he he was named. Um, He wasn't super bright. He wasn't a lawyer. He never graduated uni, but the people adored him. They knew him as affable Alfred. Um, Now, he actually ended up becoming the second prime minister after Edward Barton. Um, The fifth one is Andrew Inglis Clark. He came from Hobart. He was born in Hobart. He was an engineer and then a lawyer. He was accredited for reforming a lot of the law in Tasmania and was a fervent supporter of the Federation movement. And finally, Charles Kingston, born in Adelaide, my hometown. Now, 
He was a bit controversial because apparently he was not a very nice person. He was known for violence and having affairs, but he apparently was also brilliant and loved at the same time, and he helped to move the Federation forward. Now, one article that I read said, the founding fathers obviously wanted a Christian nation. So here's the quote I was talking about from Henry Parks, the father of Federation. He said, and I quote, we are preeminently a Christian people. As our laws, our whole system of jurisprudence, our constitution are based upon and interwoven with our Christian belief. Now, this is why to this day we have the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is spoken in Parliament. Um, Parliaments around Australia start with that, although I have heard that South Australia have abolished that. I need to check that. Um, our legal systems and institutions draw heavily on Christian ethics and morality. I mean, for years, it's it was customary to, uh, in courts during trials, to swear on the Bible. I had to go to court for a student in my class, and I remember having to swear on the Bible. Um, you know, to this day, most states allow doctors, for example, to not participate in abortions if it goes against their religious beliefs. So, Yes, Christians should be one of the most effective political parts of Australia. Let me give you a little bit of the history of how we started off that way, but we soon um, became less and less involved until we've got to the point we've gotten to today. But I'm kind of excited because I feel like there's a reawakening in this space. Um, But our influence has been dwindling since the 40s. It was strong up until the 40s, right? In the 40s, if politicians wanted something done, they would go to the archbishop because they knew that the archbishop could move the people. Now, by 1955, something bad happened in the Labor Party, and that is that there was a battle and the Catholics left. And that really started to weaken the religious influence. Now, go forward to the 1980s, we started to pull more and more people out of politics, and we started to pull them into the church. So everything was about the gospel and the church. So then slowly, not only were the Catholics out, now we've got the Protestants out. Um, And so by the 2000s, politics was pretty much pretty empty and vacated of of any religious influence. Now, like I said at the beginning, we got away with that for a while because most of the stuff that happened, it didn't affect us and we didn't really care about it, right? Like taxes, economics. But like I said, it started to to affect us, conversion therapy, abortion, euthanasia, and we didn't do politics. And so politics came for us. And that's the state that we're in. But guys, One in seven still go to church in this country. We are so influential. So we need to learn how to be effective again. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know that there is a real stirring and an awakening in this space. Now, there's one more reason for us to be involved in the political goings on. And that is, and this is kind of, I don't know if you guys know this, um, but historically, Australia was set up that it was not only the right, but the responsibility of every citizen, not just the Christian ones, 
but every citizen had a responsibility to have a say in the way that our country was and is governed. And again, we just think it's not our responsibility now. And so I want to encourage all of us today. um, It is our responsibility. Now, this was made really clear when Australia's minimum wage was set. I'd never thought about this before, but it was set around two things. Now, I learned this recently from former Senator Amanda Stoker, who's quite a history buff and very intelligent. Um, I couldn't find this myself online, but she has done all the research, so I believe her. Um, And she said that it was very much set so that a family could afford, obviously, to take care of their own needs, but then two things. Number one, so they could buy a newspaper every day. And number two, so they had enough money to pay the fee to join a political party. That is how the Australian minimum wage was partly set. So it was a given that it was the responsibility of every citizen to take an interest in politics and to know what was going on in their country. Now, I want to give you the most recent example to um, to finish off with, and I think this is so incredible. And I hope that this encourages you that our voices truly, truly matter Um, But we had a massive win on Friday just gone by, uh, and it's around this abortion, uh, babies born alive, left to die bill. I talked about this a few months ago, uh, but most recently in Western Australia, they refused to make amendments to their babies born alive bill to stop the barbaric practice of leaving babies who are born alive after a failed abortion left to die. Now you can go back and listen to my podcast on that, but they are given no pain relief. They're not covered, blanketed, swaddled, cuddled, or cared for, but they're left in a Petri dish in, uh, in another room, um, to die. Now that happens every week here in Queensland and Victoria. There's hundreds of babies that have died this way and most Australians don't know about it. But Friday night just gone or Friday just gone in Queensland, who also had the same bill, by the way, we got the news that the termination guidelines have been amended to give equal treatment to all babies born alive in Queensland after a failed abortion. Previously, it used to say here in Queensland uh, to not give life-sustaining treatment of a baby. How how barbaric is that? To not give life-sustaining treatment of a baby who is born alive after a failed abortion. But now it's been amended and a couple of sections have been added. One saying that if there has been a live birth, there needs to be an individualized clinical assessment. So I'm still not sure. I'm going to look this up. I'm still not sure if that means that that would be given medical care to save their life. I'm not quite sure. But there's another section um, on palliative care of babies who've been born alive after a failed abortion that says that the baby has to be wrapped warmly. This brings a tear. And if the parents don't want to hold the baby, the health provider has an obligation to care for that baby until it passes. Now, why did this get changed? Now, because just like in WA, it was only, I think, last year sometime where the government here in Queensland refused to make amendments to our Babies Born Alive bill. So our Babies Born Alive were directly, the healthcare providers were told, do not save them, do not give them life-sustaining treatment. 
And the reason that that changed is because of the pressure that was put on the government predominantly by Christian people. I know Amanda Stoker was a big voice uh, in this space. I know there, there have been many other politicians like Matt Canavan, um, but there have been ones that you might not know of, like here in Queensland, um, a, an amazing MP who's given most of his life to politics in our state, Mark Robinson. Uh, there's also been a, a group called Cherish Life. And so this is what happens when people, but especially Christians, but when all citizens get involved in politics, when something disgusting like that is happening, we're like, no way. And we, unless we hold the government to account, this is why our founding fathers kept us in that document, because they knew that when people have a belief in God, it moves us. It gives us a set of values, a moral compass, um, and it moves us to act in ways that benefit society. I mean, how many babies now will at least be be passing away with a last little bit of love and some pain relief compared to the flipping barbaric law that um, is literally right around our country, by the way, every other state does exactly that with babies. And so did we here in Queensland until just last week. So I want you to be encouraged by that. And um I just wanted to let you know that our country needs you. Our future generation needs you. And um, I'm not quite sure myself in what this looks like. I think this podcast helps. Um, I feel like I was not so popular maybe in some circles at the start because I was rattling cages by talking about things that pastors often don't talk about or let alone Christians. Um and, and now it's like people are catching up. They're like, oh, okay, yes, we probably should be speaking up about these things. So I hope that I've given you a little bit of courage. I mean, one thing you could do would be to share these episodes, um, maybe share this one with all the Christian friends that you know, uh, because most people like me probably are not aware that in the preamble opening sentence of our constitution that forms, uh, you know, the founding uh, document of this country, God is there. And we cannot let that be taken out because I can see a day where they're going to want to make that amendment, where they're going to want to take God out of it. And we can't let that happen because if God gets taken out of the foundations of our society, we are more stuffed than what we are now. And so we've got to fight for that. And I'm very passionate about that because it's really affecting you and I in our daily life. But more than that, it's going to affect the generations to come. So I am doing this for my kids for my children's children and for the generations to come if the Lord does not come back before them. So thank you for supporting my work. Thank you for the messages of encouragement that I get. Thank you for the nice comments that people write on the buy me a coffee. Thank you for the, for the written reviews that are, um, overwhelmingly nice reviews. I think there's two horrible ones and it's because they didn't agree with me about COVID, but whatever. Um, I really, really, do appreciate it. Um, and I'm glad that I'm able to give you a courage, a bit of courage. Thank you to every person that comes up to me. I just had another person today. I took my son out for, um, lunch cause he knew I was going to pay. No, we we'll often do that. Took him out for lunch. Um, and one of the girls there was like, Oh, I know who you are. I listen to your podcast. So I love that. Thank you. Um, I look forward to being back with you next week, but until then share, subscribe, 
um, five-star review, whatever you can do. Um, and if we all do our part, then we can influence this nation for God and for good. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful week. Bye.